So Main Street Retail was supposed to vanish with D to C, but not so fast. And speaking of somebody that was supposed to replace somebody, this guy was supposed to be the replacement for Rush, and that's not working out very well. And on a personal basis, Keith, I have a Duke Wright story to share with everyone this morning. So, good morning. Uh, we're back with another episode of Media Insultant. Our opinions, comments, ideas, and snarky comments. I'm Jackson Weaver in Seattle, and in Southern California, where it's just raining like all the get-out, that's Keith Samuels. Keith, are you staying dry? Barely, Jackson. Barely. Record rains last week. More rain this week. It's just, uh, you know, the... Uh, uh, Pineapple Express and the Atmospheric River are just uh, having their way with us. Uh, but the good news is, for uh, you know, for people that have common sense, that the drought is pretty much over. Well, it certainly is going to help. No question about that. As long as any, everything hasn't washed away, and you're in the hills there, so. <laughs> I, I... Well, what happens is, is everything washes out into the ocean, so they close the beaches down. But who wants to go to the beach when it's 50 degrees and raining? But, you know, it's a lot of stuff that flows on out the L.A. River, and you don't want to know. <laughs> well, all right, that's our weather forecast for Southern California for the week. And so here we go. Without commercial interruption, we welcome you to the Tuesday, January 10th episode of Media Insultant. Keith. You know, at Media Insultant here, we don't get very political. I, I mean, you get enough of that elsewhere, right? Yeah. But the Kevin McCarthy... Like everywhere. We get it everywhere, <laughs> that's right. But the Kevin McCarthy battle for House Speakership, to me, is just a stunning example of one of our bad habits in the radio business, and that is how not to negotiate against yourself. McCarthy was just negotiating against himself. I mean... He would give away everything, and he never got anything in return. He just kept giving away. He gave away rules. He gave away committee positions. He even gave away his own security as House Speaker. In fact, I think it was Matt Getz who said, there wasn't anything else I wanted. I got it all. So I'm looking at this thinking, you know, frankly, I was guilty of that at some point in my career when selling radio because, you know, we always thought we had to give everything away. Oh, price is too high? Well, here... I'll throw in spin. Zero dollar spots. Or how about a promotion? Yeah, that's it. I'll give you a promotion. Or my favorite is when a client would say, well, I want your absolute lowest rate. Seriously? And you'd give yeah. it to him. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. Yeah. Which was and, a stupid and you gave thing it to, to do. Dumb dummy. <laughs> but, uh, but here our clients, you know, we just, we give in to them way too often without getting anything in return, other than in some cases getting on the buy. So what's, what's your takeaway on this? You've, you've been doing radio and media sales for a long time. Why do we negotiate against each, ourselves? Well, because uh, we don't have alternatives. You know, there's no other sources of business. We believe the worst about our competitors. So when we're told that somebody else is doing it, we believe it, even though that may not have been the case. And we have just gotten into a culture and a habit where we give away what we should be selling. You know, it's not... It's, not the case in other media as much, but it certainly is in radio. And I think it started out before consolidation. Oh, totally. But now with consol- 
with consolidation, it's gotten worse. You know, it's like, you know, it used to be, you know, we had 25 competitors. So there were always some sleaze balls willing to cut a deal. Uh, now we've got three competitors and they're cutting, they're cutting deals more than ever. So, it's a, and Steve Marks wrote about this in a column, uh, I don't know, 25 years ago in Radio Inc., where he talked about how IBM added value to the process of buying from them. They helped you learn how to use computers and how to you know, buy computers and how to use them and where, where you could use them. And uh, in radio, all we did was go in and, and give away the store. Right, right. And, Price and, was the only thing we exactly, Yeah, Yeah, give away what we should be selling. And, and by the way, that column fell on deaf ears yeah. because... They, they kept doing it, and people in radio particularly keep doing it, now probably even in television. But we're not great negotiators. We think we are, but we're not. And it's, it's like this, um, it's like we're in a, an interrogation where you know, the buyer goes into one room and interrogates one radio station group and then comes back and tells you what that one group is going to be doing. You didn't know what they were doing or not. You know, it's that Russian-style interrogation where you, you start to believe the worst about your enemy or about your, your coworker, or your friends at another group. And so you do the same thing. You just, you just give away, you know, all that you have to be selling. So it's, it's a very frustrating process. Well, but I think that uh, this comes down to one core thing. What we want is we, we get in a situation, and McCarthy was in this, where we wanted what we wanted too badly. We want to be on the buy. We want to be in the deal. I remember one deal when I was selling the Sonics, and we had a prominent uh, Seattle lighting establishment that wanted sponsorship, and they wanted everything. And the only way I got the deal put together is at some point I said, you know, this isn't going to work. It's been really nice. Uh, I wish you lots of luck. And then they came back and said, well, let's talk about this. So you got to be able to walk away, you know, no one to hold them, no one to fold them, that kind of thing. Yep, yep. And no one was better at that than, uh, than the great Fred Shoemaker at KMPS because, you know, and he used to drive that home. We all wanted to get on every buy, but we didn't have enough time available to sell or to run to be on every buy. And so his position was, you know, let's just, we'll just walk away. You know, let's just, hey, we'll just, hey, we love you, but we can't do business that way or we're not going to take that deal that way. And we walked away. But that personality and that belief is so rare in media. It's sad. All right. That's our sales lesson for the day. So, okay. <laughs> well, we'll let everybody take that away as, as much as they want to. And I hope there's a little wisdom in that. Our next lead story here is is another lesson in following in big footsteps. Dan Bongino, whose uh, show is syndicated by Westwood One, was the intended replacement for Rush, right? And one of them, yeah. Yes. Well, Westwood One put him in his time slot. Well, you know, I look at it, and the the truth is, is that. Bongino or Rush's time period has passed. You know, there are few entertainers like Rush that just, he was an entertainer. And the unfortunate thing is that, is that a lot of talk show hosts think having an opinion is the same thing as being an entertainer. And it's not. And then, right. you know, Bongino comes along and his conservative Rush audience is now 20 years older than they were. So they're aging out rather rapidly. And then Bongino gets into this big pissing match with Cumulus. Uh, I often thought it was stunting more than a real legitimate pissing match. He tangled with him over vaccines, and then he took his va- his grievances on the air, and he just you know it was always just ragging on him about one thing or another. And I'm not sure whether it was an attempt to build an audience, but if it was, it didn't didn't work very well. Have Have you ever listened to any of his shows? 
Uh, no, I haven't. That's uh, he was Westwood One's answer to post Rush. Yes, right. Uh, Premier, which was syndicating Rush, replaced Rush on on their network, which was Rush's network. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I with, didn't clarify with, with, that. Thank you. Yeah, with uh, with uh, Buck Sexton and and. Um, and Travis, yeah. What's his name? What is it? Buck and Travis, and they're even struggling as well. I mean, they they got the they got the iHeart syndication group of stations, and it, yeah, and it's been hard because I think you're right. I think the the secret to Rush was that he was an inter, as much an entertainer, and he was a really great radio guy. I mean, he grew up in radio. What was the point about Dan? Was it has he is he resigning? Is he quitting? What's the deal? A good question. He announced his retirement 18 months in advance. He said he wasn't going to renew his contract. And, and so then the, the question becomes, why would you do that? And the only thing I can think of is a couple of things. One, it's an excuse for not having a better audience. Uh, and it's an invitation for Cumulus to buy him out. You know, here, you know if, you, if you're not going to put your heart into it for the next 18 months, why are we paying you? And there may be some merit to that, but I don't... Maybe, but they haven't done it yet. No, and I'm, I'm, they don't have anything to fill it with, and, you know, they've got some inventory out of it, so I don't know. Okay. All right, the, the next story, Keith, uh, this, this is a personal note, and, you know, as co-hosts, both of us from time to time get to tell our own stories, right? To the point of boring everyone, you know, but <laughs> that's our prerogative, you know, I, we, we get to do that. It's it's our podcast, so exactly. go, you know, have at it. Exactly. Well, as you know, and as we spoke of, I think, um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the legendary radio broadcaster Duke Wright uh, died this uh, last month. Duke was 83, and he had put together a pretty good group of stations. And so I'm going to tell you my story of uh, my time with Duke. I grew up in a uh, small, medium-sized market, Wausau, in central Wisconsin town of about 50,000 at the time. And for some reason that I have no idea why, I was delivering papers at a, I must have been 13 years old with a buddy of mine, a guy by the name of Jimmy Vino. So my hat's off to Jimmy Vino for what transpired. Because we delivered a Sunday morning paper to the Rig Radio Studios. And I just caught the bug. It was so cool. And Rig, W-R-I-G, was above Wright's Music Store. Duke's family owned a uh, music store in downtown Wausau where everybody bought their records and uh, their musical mm-hmm. instruments. And apparently he talked Duke's dad, he talked his family into buying, investing in this radio station that they put in the studios above Wright's music store. Now, Rig was the local rock station. Every town had one. It was known as Big Rig. And Duke... Uh, Big Rig. Duke could put the station on the air in 1958. He was one of the original jocks. This was a low-powered station, you know, 250 watts at 1,400. And over the years during high school and in my time when I was in high school and my first year of college, uh, I never worked for Duke. We knew each other. Uh, we talked, but, you know, we were, I worked for his, both of his competitors at some point. And at one point, I launched a new radio station, WIFC, uh, which was uh, which was an FM station, and we just crushed Rig. Rig had uh, moved to FM, but we just we just out top forty'd them as what we did. So he quickly switched the format to country, and uh, ironically, as the world turns, he subsequently purchased WIFC and put together the dominant group in the market. WIFC is uh, still 
the oldest uh, top 40 station in America today and still does really well. Anyway, Duke goes on and builds this very successful and respected group of stations in mid upper Midwest markets from Nashville to Green Bay, uh, you know, mm -hmm. to Fargo, those kind of markets. But the thing that's interesting is Duke developed a reputation for knowing how to run these stations in relatively small markets. Good programming, good staff, good profitability. He had the magic. I remember an exec at, uh, at uh, the Milwaukee Journal Company who owned radio stations in smaller markets. And at one point, the, the guy who ran it said to me, he said, Duke knows how to do this. We don't. It's not in our DNA. So Duke did. He just was one of those guys. He loved radio. And the last time I saw him was uh, in a hallway at the NAB convention. And and we bumped into each other and uh, quickly grabbed a, a little table and a chair and sat and talked for about an hour and, and just listening to him talk about the stories he had on radio in Wisconsin. Just fascinating guy. I, so I miss him. He died with a lot of stories. And you know, all I can say is uh, the best thing about Duke is his people loved working for him, became a highly respectable and desirable place to work. He had a great management style and he had real radio in his, in his veins. And uh, we're going to miss him. Oh, and a final thing. He was an accordion player, and he played with bands all over the upper Midwest. And if you haven't ma, hey, pa, polkad, you just haven't had fun. Some of his videos are still up on YouTube. You can, you can search Duke Wright polka videos, and you too can enjoy the deft fingers of Duke Wright playing your favorite polkas. <laughs> Wow, well, that's just like the John Candy character in Home Alone, Gus Polinski. You know, who's the uh, polka, you know, the uh, polka king of the Midwest. There you go. That was that so, was Duke. so Duke Wright was really the guy. You know, <laughs> wow. Well, we we lose another legendary builder, and just uh, just sad. wanted to sh share my little little sidebar story because I uh, really liked Duke and his family is now continuing to run the group, and I'm sure they'll be successful for a long time to come. Well, we lost Ed Christian. We lost Ed, Ed Saga. We've now lost, uh, you know, Duke Wright at uh, Midwest. Is there was there a succession plan, or who's running? Who's been running the company for him? And is that going to be okay? Well, it's privately held. So his family, he had four or five members of his family uh, managing the stations, and uh, in, in upper management. And I'm not sure who took over technically as president of the company yet. And I'm not sure anybody's announced anything. But uh, it'll be family held for a long time. You know, they missed their opportunity to either sell or go public. So they'll just continue to milk whatever cash flow comes out of it, which is probably substantial. Yeah, you know, yeah. probably substantial. All right. You know, uh, shit changes, as you and I both know. And the question is, uh, once was what was once heralded as the new face of retail, D to C, direct to consumer, seems oh, yeah. to be sputtering. Uh, particularly during the pandemic, it was said that uh, this would be the dominant form of retail. But now, uh, it I don't want to say it's dying. It's certainly not dying, but it is fading. You know, there are numerous brands that have added retail distribution to their distribution. Dollar Shave, Allbirds, uh, Warby Parker. And I think there are a lot of reasons. Shipping costs have been a big one. Uh, Facebook ad costs are way up. I mean, CPMs on Facebook have gone from 6 to $18. And when your core marketing for D to C was through Facebook and you triple your cost and the effectiveness declines because Apple puts in this new logarithmic, the fact you can't share between apps, suddenly D to C is a lot less attractive. Their new, Apple's new privacy policy is, I guess, what I was, what I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. So D to C has been cool, but is that enough, Keith? 
Well, apparently not, because uh, as a Dollar Shave Club subscriber and a Warby Parker wearer, I bought Warby Parker when they opened up their stores. Um, I didn't do it before. During the pandemic, I did order glasses online and did their, you know, they send five pairs to you and you try them on and you measure your eyes and you take your picture in the computer and it (laughs) measures the distance between your pupils. And it, it was kind of a pain in the ass, actually. I just want to go into the store, try on the frames. They've got my prescription on file, and you know, and you know a few days later, I've got glasses. Yeah. You know, yeah. so and, and they and they send you the glasses, or you know, or you can go pick them up if you want that kind of thing. So, um, but the, the fact of the matter is, is that they, these kind these, these businesses sort of were disrupting the regular way of buying glasses, buying shaving supplies, buying buying tennis shoes, but. We love going into stores. In fact, we go into stores now and check stuff out. I go in and try on the shoes, and then I go online and order them because they never have my size or they don't have the color. For instance, I needed a new pair of golf shoes over Christmas, so I go to Roger Dunn Golf Shops, biggest golf shop chain in in, in L.A. They've got some shoes that I like, but they don't have the, the type that I want in the color I want, right? So what do I do? I go back home. I buy them online. They ship them to me. So there's this kind of combination of shopping experience that we're doing. And if you've been to the mall over Christmas time, you realize that everybody was waiting to go back to the malls to go shopping, waiting to go back to the stores true, and, true. And, and check things out. Um, you know, so uh, you know, we, we still like that tactile part of the experience. Um, but, you know, these stores don't always keep everything in stock. So you do have to then kind of go back online and do your D to C purchase so it's kind of a combination of things. Well, Dollar Shave Club is an interesting side story, though, because they really, you know, Unilever bought them for like a billion dollars. And these two guys out in West L.A. made, you know, half a billion dollars each. And, uh, and, and frankly, they weren't, they weren't making any money. They weren't generating a big enough share to really worry anybody. But Unilever was worried about this D to C future, this D to C thing. So they just, they just gave these guys a boatload of money. And they're laughing their way to the bank. And, and now they've discontinued the magazine the Dollar Shave Club used to have. Um, you know, they don't have all the products necessarily in stock. They're, they're driving you to retail, big end aisle displays at CVS for, you know, Dollar Shave Club products. And you're going, why am I subscribing anymore? Why am I doing this anymore? So it is kind of a weird uh, uh, retail phenomenon that we went through. And now I think we've kind of got some sort of hybrid yeah, I think I think that's it. It's it's a multi-platform thing, and you know, one of the things that you brought up that I thought was really observant is that we're seeing the same thing in media, where networks used to have to say, "Okay, we'll program this, and we'll get affiliates to distribute the content to the audience. We'll sell some advertising, let them sell some advertising." But today, that's not necessary. You know, with Paramount Plus, with Hulu, with uh, any of these distribution platforms, the networks and the program producers can simply go direct to consumer. And then they keep all yep. the advertising revenue. They keep all the subscription revenue, too. Yeah, they, so they double dip. And it's, it's, it's really, really uh, uh, powerful. And you're seeing that. We're seeing that now with, this, you know, with these television groups consolidating because they've got to do the same thing. They've got to create their own content that they distribute to their own stations and, uh, and get clearances um, and, and sell the ads as a result. So that's really good. But also, too... The media sales business has gotten into D to C as well. In other words, the most expensive part of a, of a television or a radio station are the sales commissions. And so to, if, if you can eliminate that, 
particularly on small local direct business, then you're, you're saving a lot of money. And so now that everybody's got their self-serve platforms and certainly do it in digital. And that's where, you know, traditional media is totally jealous because because digital has expanded without salespeople or without, you know, the small local direct in-market salespeople. It's all self-serve. You just go online and fill out your forms, open your account, give them your credit card and you're buying advertising. And now, you know, iHeart's had it for a couple of years. Uh, you're seeing it now in a lot of newspapers with self-serve platforms. You know, we would love, you know, our business, you know, is now moving to that direction where, wow, this will be great. We don't need to have any salespeople. People will just come online and buy us because we've got a cool website and we've got a cool DJ that they yeah, want to buy. And- yeah, but, but that, hasn't, that hasn't worked. And uh, they, nobody's found the magic formula on that. iHeart's been working on it for years. And I, I think they, particularly with the local uh, local accounts. I, I think it's been had negligible in, impact. I could be stone wrong on that, but I don't. From my experience, I don't think they've had any impact at all on. Uh, people just aren't interested. They they need the sales process. With digital, it's a different different sales cycle, different tool. You're already online, so somebody's still got to find the magic sauce on that. But all right, we've well, run. They're, they're going to keep they're going to keep pushing it because they don't want to pay sales commissions I anymore. I agree. D to C and. All right, we've, we've, we've run out of time again, Keith. I don't, where does 20 minutes go? It's crazy. But we got lots more to talk about, so why don't we do this again on Friday? Um, yes. You'll pick up yes. the storylines, and, and we'll come back with uh, all kinds of snarky comments and things we can say about, <laughs> about what's, what's going on. All right, Media Insultant is a production of InTown Media. We're an interim contract management for radio stations firm. Produced this program primarily because we have got nothing else to do and and we have fun at it. So uh, you can find the podcast just about anywhere, any podcasting platform. Videos are on Vimeo under the Media Insultant Showcase. We do it each Tuesday and Friday. Look forward to seeing you now on Friday, Keith. In the meantime, uh, stay dry and have a good week, buddy. I'll do my best, Jackson. Thanks a lot. See you Friday. <laughs>